Daniel chapter 3. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all of the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought so they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. He will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods, or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, 
Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments. And they were thrown into the burning fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they're not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fire furnace, and he declared, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed. And no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins. For there is no other god who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Heavenly Father, Lord, we look to you this morning, Father, that you would be pleased to teach us from your holy and sacred word. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. In the third chapter, which we've come to here this morning, you may have noticed as we've read this, or you may be well aware from reading this in the past, uh, that in this chapter, Daniel takes a back seat, doesn't he? Daniel is not mentioned. And in fact, we might even ask, uh, where is Daniel? Where did he go? And many ask that question, but any answer that we could give to that question would be purely conjecture. Uh, sometimes it's suggested that Daniel's off somewhere in Babylon on some kind of business. Uh, the text says nothing about that. Again, it's conjecture, and we might even object to that and say, well, you know, Nebuchadnezzar has called all the important people of his kingdom uh, to this assembly. Why would he have Daniel off somewhere? Uh, others would say Daniel's, uh, you know, he's in the court. That's where he's been appointed. He's in the court. Uh, but again, we simply don't know. Anything that we might say would be pure speculation. And I raise this for this reason. I, I don't think that we should take from this story the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are the only three Israelites who refused to bow uh, to this statue uh, that Nebuchadnezzar has uh, raised up. Uh, the story really is about uh, a very fiery trial of faith that these three men experience. Uh, 
And it's about their response to that trial of faith. And more importantly, more significantly, it's about the God who delivers them from that trial of faith. And what I would like to do this morning to start, actually, is to just retell this story from the vantage point of those three points that I've just raised. Namely, the fiery trial of faith, the response to that trial of faith, and most significantly, uh, the God who delivers them from that trial of faith. So let, let's start with the trial of faith. I mean, our, our story begins with Nebuchadnezzar's massive statue of gold. The ESV tells us that uh, in, in verse 1, that its height is 60 cubits, its breadth is 6 cubits. Uh, we don't use cubits. Uh, if you're laying block or you're doing uh, carpentry work, you don't say, well, I need a board that's six cubits long. It wouldn't be, very th it wouldn't be the thing to do. Uh, we use other measurements. And some of our modern translations actually go ahead and convert that into footage to give us an idea of just how massive this statue is. It's 90 feet tall. And it's nine feet wide. And we're told that it's all of gold. Uh, the very least that we could say is that it is at least plated in gold. It's probably most likely plated in gold. Uh, so it's, it's not just massive. Uh, it's, it's probably beautiful. And it is extraordinarily uh, expensive. Now, here, I think here, a, a curious smirk should be on our face as we, as we ask the question, well, gee, Nebuchadnezzar, where did you get the idea to make a giant statue? <laughs> and those of you who've been studying along with us we just, and just completing chapter two, we know the answer, don't we? Nebuchadnezzar had a frightful dream, and in that dream, what, what did he dream about? He dreamed about this massive figure uh, in his dream. And uh, another curious point comes to mind because the massive statue in Nebuchadnezzar's dream was not all of gold, was it? It was of various metals. You know, its, it's head was of gold, uh, its, its arms and chest was of silver, its uh, uh, middle and thighs were of bronze, its legs and feet were of iron. And uh, uh, we can remember Daniel's interpretation of the king's dream back in chapter 2 and verse 38. Daniel tells the king, he says, O king, you are the head of gold. Uh, but then Daniel in verse 39 says, Another kingdom inferior to you shall rise after you. And of course, that kingdom is the, is the arms and chest of silver. And then another king after that will rise after that kingdom, and that's uh, symbolized by the bronze. And still another kingdom after that is symbolized by the iron. Well, here is the problem. There's another kingdom. Uh, that's the problem. There's another kingdom, and this means that Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom will soon be passing. So uh, it's, it's often pointed out in the commentaries that Nebuchadnezzar is a very insecure fellow. I, I, I don't think I've mentioned that yet in this series. I've been kind of saving that for right now because right now I think we see his insecurities. They're 90 feet high. It's 90 feet tall. God's statue only had a head of gold. And it's very clear that that head of gold represented Nebuchadnezzar. But Nebuchadnezzar's statue is all of gold. 
What is the significance of that? Nebuchadnezzar, he, he says, no, 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 no. In his mind, there's going to be no other kingdoms. Now, we're not having another kingdom. We're not having the demise of this kingdom. Nebuchadnezzar wants the here and now to stay exactly the way it is. I am king. My kingdom is, is on top. And this is the way it's going to be now and forevermore. And this statue is going to show that. Now, we could stop and make application already, couldn't we? He wants the here and now to last for eternity. Okay, how much, how much of this reminds us of the unbelieving heart? You know, we do all we can to get rid of God's revelation. We do all that we can to get rid of God's Word. And when we do that, we don't just leave a vacuum in its place. We create our own revelation. We create our own, our own Word, if you will, to fill that void. We all know that we're here for a very short period of time, yet we act and think like... This is the real sum and total of it all. How often do we think this way? And even when we come to faith, we're still so prone to think like that. I, 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 shamefully, as I think in my own, my own life, how often I think that really this is the sum and total of everything. This short little life of ours is here today, it'll be gone tomorrow. Uh, it's not the sum total of everything. It's actually quite temporary. You know, how often do we really see ourselves as we really are? We might even think, how often do we see ourselves in the language of Psalm 8, verses 3 and 4, which, which read, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? How often do we think of ourselves in, in that light? We might look up at the stars. We might look out at the, the rolling hills. We might look at really any aspect of God's creation and allow that to put in perspective really how small we really are. That's what the psalmist is doing. You know, I, th I, think, I think we can easily see that if we've ever stood at the beach and we've looked out at the ocean. How, how small we are. Well, moving on, Nebuchadnezzar, he calls all of the officials of his conquered nations together and he commands them to bow to this massive statue that he has built. Now, there's significance to that here. Nebuchadnezzar is calling all of the who's who of his kingdom. He has, his kingdom is comprised of all of these conquered nations, if you will. And what is he doing? He, he's calling all of the who's who, all of the influential figures out of these these conquered nations, and he's gathering them all around this big statue. And what is, he, what, is he, what is he commanding them to do? Well, it's very clear. Bow down to the image. Uh, failure, the failure to do so will result in verse 6, being thrown into a burning, fiery furnace. Now, verses 8 through 12 tell us that there's some Chaldeans that step forward, and they maliciously report to the king that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are refusing. They're refusing to worship. And here, I mean, we cannot help but to conjecture there might be some jelly belly going on here. If you remember in chapter 2, the very last verse of chapter 2, once uh, Daniel is exalted to his position, what's his first order of business? 
His first order of business is to inquire of the king to exalt Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And there they are, very quickly, uh, raised up to this exalted state. And we might even go back to chapter 1 when we look at uh, uh, the instruction, you know, and the instruction that they've, they've been given. And, and, and the Babylonian, Babylonian academy, if you will, uh, these folks finished top of their class, didn't they? Now, how's that often make colleagues feel when we have somebody that's doing so well, moving up so quickly, everything seems to be going a certain way? It's often not viewed very favorably, is it? And I think we can easily conjecture that uh, they just don't like this. Here is an opportunity to smear some dirt on what would otherwise be a really uh, impeccable uh, portfolio. And that's exactly what they do. It's very possible uh, that they even coveted these positions. If we can get Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego out of here, guess what? Maybe one of us can have their spots. Maybe one of us can take their place. And that's certainly nothing new, is it? That's been going on since the fall of humanity. But sinfully, people in the workplace often hate the sound of their colleagues moving up. It's just one of the uh, inevitable uh, consequences of, of the fall, isn't it? Now, Nebuchadnezzar, he investigates the matter. He questions Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And we see he becomes furious. He asks them, is the report true? And it's like, if you look at the narrative, he's asking them if the report is true, but he's not even really giving them time to answer. Uh, he just immediately says, listen, worship. If you'll worship and, and bow down now, all is well. Uh, but if you won't, he makes this statement, which is really at the very heart of the message this morning. He says in verse 15, at the end of verse 15, if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Well, here's the predicament. And it's quite a predicament, isn't it? Uh, there's the fiery trial, if you will. How do they respond to it? Well, look with me at verse 16. We see that their answer is very calm. The, and in actuality, I mean, verses 16 and 17 almost sound like um, almost a little bit, it's so bold that it's almost a little bit smart. Um, we might say they're kind of getting a little smart here. Verse 16, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Verse 17, if this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. He will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Verse 18, but if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. And here it's important to note that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego they don't necessarily know if they're going to be able to escape the flame here, do they? They're not really sure that it will be the, the Lord's will to deliver them from the flames. They're, they're not positive of that. They say, if not, be it known to you, king, we will not serve your gods. Uh, very clearly in verse 18, their allegiance to God is more important even than their very own lives. Now, how's, how's King Nebuchadnezzar, how's he react to this? Does that calm him down? Say, okay, well, I admire your loyalty and faithfulness to this God. You know, that's, that's quite remarkable. Uh, you guys go back and take your seats. Is that, is that how he responds to this? 
Oh, he, he was already as mad as a hornet to begin with. He finds, we find him like that a lot, don't we? Well, this infuriates him. He orders the furnace to be made seven times the temperature that it was running. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are pitched in. And this brings us really to the most astonishing part of the story. In verses 24 and following, we see the God who delivers. The God who delivers. If you look with me to verse 24, Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? He answered and said to the king, True. And Nebuchadnezzar said, But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they're not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. <laughs> What's going on here? Well, it brings us back to the, the, the comment that Nebuchadnezzar makes in verse 15. He says to them, If you don't worship, you're getting pitched into the furnace. And when you get pitched into the furnace, who is the God that's going to deliver you out of my hand? Well, here's his answer, isn't it? Here's his answer. Who is the God that will deliver you out of Nebuchadnezzar's hand? It's the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's the God of Daniel. It's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Joseph. It's the Almighty God, creator of the universe. Look with me to verses 26 through 30. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning, fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High. He says to them, come out, come out, come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they come out of the fire. Verse 27, the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors, they all gather around and they saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and the fire, the smell of the fire wasn't even on their, on their clothes. Last night, uh, our neighbors had a big fire going, not very far from our house, and uh, we were going to leave the windows open. It's such a cool night, but when we saw the fire, we closed the windows. Why? Because in the morning, our entire house is going to smell like smoke, including all of our clothes. We'll probably come in this morning with our clothes hanging out by the window. <laughs> it smell like smoke. Uh, here are these three characters have been in, the, uh, in this furnace that's heated seven times hotter than its normal temperature, and they come out not even with this smell of smoke on them. Now, uh, interestingly on the side, I mean, this is why I chose Isaiah 43 for our call to worship this morning. We have a fulfillment of it. Uh, Isaiah 43, verse 2, listen to these words. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. Now listen to this part, which Isaiah prophesied decades before. He says, when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. Isn't that amazing? The way God's Word is put together. Now in response to this miraculous deliverance, uh, Nebuchadnezzar says, if you look with me to verses 28, he says, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own. 
Therefore I make a degree any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins. For there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Okay, we've retold the story from the vantage point of those three points that I brought up at the introduction, the fiery trial, their response to the fiery trial, and the God who has delivered them. Uh, let's go one step further with this, and let's ask this question. What does a 90-foot ancient Babylonian statue got to do with us? I think it's an interesting question. It's one that I raised in my study when I was pondering over this. What's this statue got to do What's this statue got to do with us? I mean, there's a lot of directions we could go with this chapter, and I'm kind of toying of returning to it uh, next week because there's, there's lots of things we're skipping over. But for this morning's purposes, what does this 90-foot Babylonian statue got to do with us here in 21st century America? Well, again, verse 15, that, sec, that last half of verse 15, provides us with a platform to consider this question. If you look there with me, look at verse 15 and look at the very last section of it again. If you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Now, the first observation I would make about this is notice how our sinful desires, goals and agendas, our motivations, our addictions... All of these things are being said in religious language. If you do not worship. Now, why would I make that statement? Well, Nebuchadnezzar has commanded everybody to worship, right? Bow down or be burnt is the commandment, right? So there's a lot of incentive here to worship, isn't there? I mean, the motivation to worship is to avoid the fiery furnace, right? But it goes further than that. Motivation to worship is also a way to get right with the king. It's a way to get right with the boss. And who's gathered? Who has is, who is Nebuchadnezzar got gathered? He's got all these leading figures of all these conquered nations all gathered around. It's a, real, like it's a big assembly of the who's who, isn't it? fact, there may be people offended that they're not there in the kingdom. And they chose Eddie, but they didn't choose me. I don't know what's up with that. Well, this would be a good one to be passed over on, wouldn't it? But the who's who's there. All the leading influential figures are all there. Bow down. This will put you in right and good with the right people, right? Gets you in with the right crowd. <laughs> now, what does a 90-foot Babylonian statue got to do with us? It has everything to do with us. As we think about our current culture, I mean, there is enormous pressure upon our teenagers today to bow down to an image that is being set up by our society. To walk a certain way to talk a certain way, to dress a certain way, to watch certain movies, to listen to certain music. 
And that's not just simply limited to our teenagers, is it? We could take this into really all kinds of areas of life. We could take this into the workplace quite easily, couldn't we? There is enormous pressure in today's workplace. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar is not the only one who sets up images. Every culture, every society has set up these images. And in the workplace, I mean, if you're going to follow Jesus in the workplace, unless you happen to work in a Christian environment, you're going to stick out like a sore thumb. Why? Because there's this image that's set up. It might not be spoken, but uh, you go into these places, you're going to feel it. To think a certain way, to talk a certain way, to handle situations a certain way, to conduct yourself a certain way. Now, what if the teenager decides that I'm not going to bow to this 90-foot statue? What happens to the teenager? Well, suddenly the teenager is singled out, kind of like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, isn't he? Or isn't she? And ex undoubtedly exposed to all kinds of ridicule. How about the adult in the workplace? What if you're not going to bow down to the image? What's going to happen? You're going to stick out. You're going to be singled out. And really... <laughs> Let's zero this in even closer to home. We actually, in many ways, set up the image ourselves. What do I mean by that? Let me let, me let my, myself as an example to flesh out what I mean by that. Oftentimes, when I've been asked about the progress of how Tri-State Community Church is going, I have often been met with the temptation to exaggerate where we really are. Why would I be tempted to do that? It's because I've got this statue set up in my heart. It's the statue of success. I would really like to be successful. And exaggerating a little bit about where we are kind of makes it sound like we're more successful than we really are, doesn't it? Now, if we were to be really forthcoming and candid with one another, I think this would be mighty uncomfortable. But if we were to, if we were to close with a song, you know, and uh, pronounce a benediction and then put all the chairs in a circle and go around and say, okay, here's what we're going to do after the service today. We're just going to go one by one and we're just going to talk about all the idols, all the 90-foot statues we have in our hearts. Oh, how uncomfortable that would be. We would get a variety of different answers as we went around the room, wouldn't we? But if we boiled all of them down to their common denominator, and they have a common denominator, it would be self. In my notes here, I have self with a capital S, capital E, capital L, capital F. Self. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego forfeited self. That's in essence what they did. They were told, bow down or be burnt. And they said, no. If you must burn me, burn me. But I will not do that. They forfeited self. 
They forfeited their very own lives. So what's the message this morning? Is the, is this, what's the message? Is the message to go and be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Is that the message? It's often preached that way. It's a great example to follow, isn't it? There's just one problem. Um, we're not really like that, are we? Maybe I shouldn't say that about you. I should maybe only say that about me, but I got a sneaking suspicion that I'm not alone here. So if the message is go and be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, well then that's going to set us on a self-help escapade that's really going to do nothing more than lead us in self-deception and self-righteousness or despair or probably find us vacillating between all three. That's not the leading message here. We should inspire to be like that, of course, of course. But I think the real message here is is to show us that every time we fall to the idol of self, we prove to ourselves that we're very much unlike Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And as we begin to discover and make those discoveries, We're now headed in a better direction because now we realize we need help. Now we realize we need help from someone beside ourselves. In other words, now we realize we need Christ. We need Christ. Listen to the words that Ian Duguid writes in his commentary on Daniel. That's a little bit lengthy of a a quotation, but it sure is a good one. He writes, quote, unlike Daniel's three friends, I'm no hero of the faith. Did you catch that? Unlike Daniel's three friends, I am no hero of the faith. And mind you, Ian's a very godly man. He says, every time I bow down to the idols of my heart, I merit for myself God's judgment curse. I choose to escape the fiery thread of my idol but only at the cost of earning the fiery judgment of God for my unfaithfulness. Nebuchadnezzar is not the only one who condemns to the fire those who will not bow the knee to him. And listen to this. Our God rightfully demands the wholehearted homage of these whom he has created. Yet in the case of his people, God took all of our fiery judgment, curse, and laid it on his own son. He personally paid the price of my hell during the six hours on the cross so that what I might pass through, the threatening fire, unburned and emerge safely out on the other side. What is more perfect, or what is more, is his perfect faithfulness is now credited to my account as if it were my own. A faithfulness that far exceeds that of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is now mine as a free gift. I am welcome to God's presence for Christ's sake. End of quote. What's Ian saying here? Ian is saying, I am so much unlike Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and I prove it every time I bow down to my idol of self. And he's also saying that that's not okay. Because just as Nebuchadnezzar has set up an image and has required everyone to bow down to that image, Almighty God also has an image set up. The real image. Every knee is required to bow to the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and every knee will, but not every knee will bow, as I said last week, in humble submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And we can't do both. We're doing one or we're doing the other. And every time we, every time we bow down to the idol of self, okay, sure, we're getting out of hot water with ourselves, but we're getting in hot water with God. But here's where the grace comes in. God has sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to a fiery trial. One greater than what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego endured. Jesus comes and endures the cross. For what purpose? To take all the fiery darts of judgment that belong to us for bowing to the idol of self so that we could be cured, so that we could be spared of that judgment. But even more so, so that the actual record of Jesus, that faithful and perfect record, could also be given to us. I, I think this is a good time to consider the fourth person in the furnace. And probably some of you are probably thinking, okay, you're ever going to get to that? Because I'd like, I'd like to, I want to know about this fourth person in the furnace. Who's in the furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Who's this fourth person that, that Nebuchadnezzar sees and is astonished about and calls Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego out of the furnace? Is he Christ? Is he an angel? If you look at verse 25, Daniel, or Nebuchadnezzar rather, describes him as like a son of the gods. You know, son of God, you know, son of the gods. That makes us think it's probably Christ, a pre-incarnate Christ. But then in verse 28, he describes him as an angel. Okay, is he Christ or is he an angel? A lot of ink has been spilled over this question. The fact is, the text doesn't give us enough detail to answer it one way or the other for sure. But here's what the text does give us for sure is that God is with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Either way, if God really is with them in a pre-incarnate form of Christ, He is still with them, isn't He? But if He uh, dispatched an angel, He is still with them, isn't He? And that's the point. We want to make sure in our fussing over some of these details we don't miss the big point. Nebuchadnezzar is asking, who is the God who will deliver out of my hand? Here he is. Our culture asks that question every day. Who is the God who will deliver you out of my hand? Well, we can think of this furnace, can't we? We can think of this fourth person. And as we think about this fourth person, whether we, whether we believe it's an angel or whether we believe it's Christ, it's all pointing to Christ either way, isn't it? It's all certainly pointing to Christ. And what is our response? What is our response when the angel, when the 90-foot when the statue that's reared up in our hearts is demanding that we bow down? What is, what is our response? Who is going to deliver you from my hand? Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus. We look at this story. We look at the faithfulness of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And if you're like me, it just reminds me of failure when I look at that. It really reminds me of failure. Uh, that's, that's, that's my response to this when I look at that. But that's actually, I think, a blessing because... 
that failure teaches me to look to Jesus. Now we're set in the right direction, aren't we? Because Jesus succeeds. Why does Jesus succeed? When he goes to the cross, he goes to the cross faithfully. Why? To save a bunch of failures like me. Amen? So this morning we rejoice. I mean, this is great news. And let us repent of this self-service and let's look to Him and drink of this great news. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank You and praise You this morning, Father. For, oh, Father, in this ancient story about this old statue, uh, we see the Gospel. And, oh, Father, we thank You for the good news of the Gospel. Father, as we think of all the ways we have failed You, that we have bowed to our idols, as we look at this remarkable remarkable faithfulness of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Oh, Father, none of us could actually say how we would do in response to this until we're there. Oh, Father, it's, I think many of us are fearful. What would we do? Would we bow down? Or would we elect to be pitched into the furnace? Oh, Father, I'm so thankful that that is not, that is not the, the central focus this morning. Oh, Father, I'm thankful for the fact that you've, you call us, O oh, Father, to see Christ. You call us, O oh, Father, to see He who is faithful when we are not faithful. You cause us, O oh, Father, not to put our trust in ourselves and how we'll perform or how we will not perform, but you call us to trust in how Christ has already performed. And we see, O oh, Father, that He has performed perfectly in our place and that that perfect record can be ours by repentance and faith, O oh Father. And that fills our hearts with hope. So, oh Lord, we praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.